Good morning. Um, it's my pleasure to read with you this morning from the scripture. Today's reading in the Pew Bible is from, um, it's Acts 2, 1 to 13, and you can find it on page 512 if you want to follow along. If you don't have a Bible or you need a new one, please take one from um, the pew as a, a gift from Cornerstone. So Acts 2, 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a loud sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Diana. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for today. Thank you for your people. Uh, and thank you for your spirit. I pray that you would open your word to us through your spirit uh, and so that we might worship you and, uh, and glorify you even more. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things that I've been uh, thinking about a little bit lately is um, even just a conviction of this need to um, focus on the Lord. Right? And, and praise Him and glorify Him. And so easy when, it, it's so easy when we come to the Scripture sometimes to just jump right to, you know, how does it apply to me? How does it apply to our lives? And that's valuable. That's worth our time to, to put God's Word into action into our own lives. But sometimes we just need to stop and, like, glorify God. <laughs> sometimes we just need to stop and praise God for who He is. Uh, and just focus on him. So I think today might be a chance to do that a little bit. I'm a, it's going to be a little bit more um, uh, teaching-based, a little bit more uh, kind of looking at the big story of the Bible. But my hope is that it will uh, help you in your understanding of God's Word, but then also in your worship of God, uh, in your understanding of who God is. And that it will help you connect some of these pieces and, and lead you into a a heart of worship, a heart of um, adoring God for who he is, uh, and, and seeking God, seeking his, his presence. Uh, I think uh, today's passage is fascinating uh, because I, I don't, we've never experienced a, a church service quite like this one. I don't think uh, there ever has been one since then quite like this one. But imagine that if you were to like walk in here on a Sunday morning and you're sitting down and we're all singing, uh, you know, and the, the drums are going and, and the piano's playing and the, uh, the singers are leading us in worship. And suddenly, like, uh, this room begins to 
fill with smoke, like with this really heavy, dense cloud of smoke? Would you think, well, it's time for me to stay in this room and, uh, and worship the Lord? Or would you like go running out the fire escape or out the front door or just like praise God for our, our, uh, our fire extinguishers and uh, sprinkler system? You'd probably do that. You probably wouldn't stop and think, wow, this is really cool. Or maybe, maybe we're all in here worshiping and then a, like, a violent wind <laughs> like fills this room and is racing around and the chandeliers are shaking. Would you think, wow, this is, this is like the presence of God? Or how about like, if fire, fire came down and like, materialized over your head? That would be terrifying. And that tells us a little bit about the kind of God that the scriptures present to us. One who is terrifying, one who is holy, one who is pure. Uh, Fire is this symbol of purity, of God's holiness, God's goodness, and his righteousness. And actually, when those those first believers in Acts chapter 2 experienced something like this, I don't think it was quite so foreign to them. I think they had a little bit of context to understand it. Suddenly, it sounded like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came down to rest on each of them, and they did not go running out, or they did not pull the fire alarm. They stayed, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with God's presence. Now, in Acts, just because we read something doesn't mean it becomes a set pattern for how we should worship the Lord, Uh, but it can teach us something. It can draw us into an understanding of who God is. And these these first uh, Jewish Christians, these first Jewish believers, they would have had some context for this. And I want us to uh, kind of go back through the Scripture and and receive that context with them so that we would understand. So this wouldn't be quite so foreign and quite so strange. And I think in order to understand God's presence, we need to go back to the very first verses of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 say this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So this beautiful kind of imagery that uh, the scriptures are painted is, uh, is this, this nothingness, this absence, but also this, this chaos, like this, this churning darkness, this churning blackness, kind of like a stormy sea. And then we see God. We encounter the spirit of God hovering over these chaotic waters, almost like a bird hovering over the ocean. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruha. It can mean wind or breath. And we see this, this wind, this life, this breath coming and beginning to transform chaos into creation, nothingness into something. And the first thing God makes, he, he makes creation and then he makes man and woman. He makes people in his own image. And then we, Adam and Eve, we Uh, There's like, it's all good. (laughs) Creation is all good. God has transformed chaos into creation. He he uh, He has called something out of nothing. And then Adam and Eve, we humanity, we mess it all up. We reintroduce chaos by disobeying God. And our lives then become this this disordered, uh, sinful, broken mess. 
But God has a plan to restore order. And it's going to be through his presence. It's going to be through that same Holy Spirit who can transform chaos into a creation. Now, time passes. Not exactly sure how much time, but eventually God shows up to a man named Abram. This is the same man that he renames Abraham. And God promises Abram that he is going to bless Abram. He is going to uh, use him to bless the entire world. And we find this in verses uh, 12, uh, chapter 12, verses 2 through 3. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God is going to uh, uh, deal with all of humanity's chaos and all of humanity's darkness through Abraham and his spiritual descendants. And Abraham says, well, how can I know that you're going to do this? How, how do I know that you're going to bless me and, and bless those who, who come from me and use me to bless the entire world? And God says, okay, well, take some animals, get some animals, and I want you to cut these animals in half and kind of form this, this path. Uh, you're going to put these, these animals half on either side. And Abraham probably had a context in his own mind for this. Oh, okay. Well, God is going to make me promise to obey him and do good things and, and, and follow after him. And then I'm going to have to walk through those animals as a sign, you know, if I ever disobey God, may I be like these animals. Because that's typically what would happen in these kind of ancient covenant uh, cutting ceremonies. But instead, God has Abraham lay, lay out the animal pieces. And then God puts Abram, Abraham into this, this deep sleep. So he can't walk through and then suddenly, out of nowhere, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch shows up. Fire shows up, and it kind of hovers and passes through the pieces. So here we see fire and smoke. And this is, this is the very presence of God coming down and, and saying, let this be done to me if I break my promise to you, Abraham. If I don't bring about blessing to you and your descendants and through you to the entire world, let this be done to me. May I be cut. That's an amazing promise for God to promise you that he is going to keep his promises. The God of the Bible, the God of Scripture, keeps his promises to his people, to us who trust in him. Now this presence, this Holy Spirit, keeps showing up throughout the story of the Bible uh, Abraham has descendants, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has uh, 12 sons, the, the, the tribe of Israel. They go into captivity in Egypt for 400 years. And then this fire shows up again uh, in, a small, in a burning bush to a man named Moses. Moses encounters a, a burning bush full of flame, it's actually God's presence, and God is telling him to lead the people out of Egypt. And so he does. He leads them out of Egypt. Moses takes the people uh, of Israel to a mountain called Sinai. And here, God tells Abraham, uh, uh, Moses, Abraham's descendants, that if the people of Israel will obey him, they will be uh, a priest to all the nations. Exodus chapter 19, 5 through 6 say this. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
The Bible Project uh, said about this, it said that to be a kingdom of priests means that they will become God's representatives to the nations and show, his, show them his character by how they, le- they live. In other words, to be a priest was to kind of mediate God's presence with those around you. And so if the whole nation of Israel is to be a kingdom of priests, they are to, to mediate God's presence to the nations, fulfilling this promise made to Abraham. And then what happens? Right after this, in verses 16 through 18, God's presence comes down in a cloud of fire, a cloud, kind of like this glory cloud and, and fire, and we see this in Exodus 19, 16 through 18. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. Maybe you're thinking like, oh, it sounds nice. Like, it smells like a campfire. Like, uh, you know, you uh, break out the marshmallows and graham crackers and chocolate. Like, we're going to have a, a campfire here. No, this is like the smell of sulfur and, and, and the earth is shaking. You know, if we just had a, a worship service where it was just the drums as loud as they could possibly be, just banging on the drums, that would be a little bit more like we were all stopping on the ground. That would be a little bit more like what they are experiencing in this moment as God comes down at Sinai to meet with the people. A visible manifestation of God's presence. This is called a theophany. And he reveals himself as this storm cloud, this fire. And I think that tells us a little bit about uh, who God is. Right? God is this pure presence. He is holy. You can't touch him. He, he, he won't stand for sin. And yet, we need fire, right? Like, maybe you have a, a furnace. A, a fire heats your home. Uh, maybe, uh, you, yeah, you've been on a, camp, a campfire and you've enjoyed that. Like, we, we appreciate fire, but fire can also burn us. Like, we appreciate it in our homes, but we also have smoke alarms. God is, is safe, but he's not safe. He's, he's good, uh, uh, but he, he, he's dangerous. Likewise, uh, God tells these people, if you obey me, you're going to be blessed. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be able to fill this land. I'm, I'm going to be with you. But if you disobey me, I'm going to be dangerous to you. I'm going to be a curse. I'm going to uh, send you out of the land that I'm about to give you. Now, notice there's a difference there between Abraham, right? Because he got it unconditionally. Him and his descendants, his spiritual descendants, are going to be blessed. God's going to be with them. But then comes to Sinai and Moses, and suddenly there's conditions. You must obey me. Well, it's because God uh, kind of gives some, some temporal blessings to the people of Israel. But God's big overarching plan is to work through them, no matter what happens. But there will be like earthly um, uh, temporal consequences if they disobey God. They won't get to enjoy all the blessings they hope. Now, the ultimate blessing that they want is God's presence, right? It's to know God, to experience God. And here we see in Exodus chapter 40, we see God coming down to be among the Israelites. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
So the people, they finished building like this, this kind of uh, mobile temple, this, this tent that's a, called a tabernacle for God's presence. And then God, what does he do? He comes down in this, this cloud of glory, fills the tabernacle, uh, and, and his presence is like clearly visible among the people. And then when they begin to travel, what does God do? So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. So as they begin to wander in the wilderness, this cloud of smoke this, uh, by day and this, this, this kind of pillar of fire by night it goes before them, leading the way. God's presence is clearly with them. And if we could have like... <laughs> Like, we believe that God's presence is with us, right? That we need the Holy Spirit to even trust in God. But if you could choose to have God lead you this way, would you, would you choose it? Like, if you could have a, a pillar of fire lead you, everyone would know that you're a follower of God. But what if God led you someplace you didn't want to go? Like, to talk to someone about Jesus or to do something that you're, like, not interested in? Well, you would very clearly know if you were disobeying. God calls the Israelites to go to the promised land. They get to the, the edge of the promised land and they begin to get afraid. They complain. Uh, God is leading them and then they suddenly don't want to go there. Now, God has mercy on them. I mean, they do end up in the wilderness for 40 years, but eventually they get into the promised land and then they just keep disobeying God. Like There begins this cycle where people honor God. They love God and and then they disobey him and, and rebel, and, and there's punishment, there's consequences, and then they cry out for mercy, and God has shows them mercy. And it's like this cycle for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, there are good kings in this time, there are bad kings, but uh, uh, some of the first kings actually build a temple, a temple for God's presence to reside, because God has been in this tabernacle, this mobile tent, and now he needs someplace a little bit more permanent. And so uh, they build him a uh, they, they build God a permanent uh, structure to worship him in because they don't want God to be stuck in a, uh, a tent. And so we see this in 1 Kings 8, 10 through 11. Uh, the, the temple has been built, Solomon built it, and when the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their services because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Man, this moment must have felt incredible. You ever had like where you, uh, you go on a retreat or something and you kind of get this spiritual high, you're like, you feel so close to the Lord, you've spent time in the word, you've spent time worshiping God, you sense his presence. This is how they must have felt. But then you come off the retreat, you come off the, the time away, and then you wonder like, where'd God go? Uh, they must have thought like, Man, God is going to be with us forever and ever and ever. We have him. He is in this temple. He is on our side. While at the same time, forgetting about their pattern of rebellion and sin and doing life their way instead of God's way. And I do think we can stop for a moment and, and apply this as we think about the God who is holy and the God who is good. And he's the same God we often take for granted. He's the same God who we assume, yeah, he loves me. I'm just going to keep going. He does love us. But he also calls us to live holy lives, to live changed lives, to be transformed. See, our God is patient. God was incredibly patient with the nation of Israel. 
He showed them kindness and mercy for hundreds and hundreds of years as they disobeyed again and again and again. And he sent prophets to them, prophets to say, hey, honor me. Uh, live my way. Live according to my word. Worship me. Be in relationship with me. Don't be in relationship with these false idols. Don't pursue those things that aren't going to make you happy, that, that you think will bring you security, but they won't. And over and over and over again, the people choose themselves and their way instead of God's way. We never do that, right? We never choose things that are uh, less important than God. And so finally, God says, you know what? My presence is going to leave you. My presence is going to leave my people, Israel. And we see this in Ezekiel 10. There's this vision of, the, of the, kind of this glory cloud, this, this, this presence of God, this theophany, uh, uh, exiting the temple, uh, rising up and going out. Ezekiel 10, verse 4. Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. The cloud filled the temple, and the court was full of the radiance of the glory of God. So the, the, this, this presence of God had been, uh, it was in the tabernacle, it was like clearly with God's people, Abraham, uh, Moses, Sinai, the tabernacle, the temple, and suddenly it's departing. God is departing. God is leaving. This is terrifying. People don't want this. And, it, and it's not like God is like, excited to leave. There's this, these stages where uh, the, the, the presence of God like leaves and then pauses in the courtyard and then rises up and then pauses and then goes to the, the gate and then pauses and then goes. Ezekiel chapter 10 verses 18 through 19, then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. While I watched the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground, they stopped at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. This shows like a, a God who loves his people and uh, wants to be with them and is reluctant, reluctant to leave, but also recognizes the consequence for sin. I mean, uh, I think that's true in our own lives, Right? If we, if we continue to, uh, uh, to pursue sin, like God, God doesn't want to, uh, to withdraw his presence from us. But if we continue to harden our hearts towards him and not love him for who he is and worship him and seek him, then we can't expect to be in real relationship with him, can we? Now, I've talked about this before. I've kind of gone over the history of like uh, the Holy Spirit, God's presence from uh, throughout the Old Testament and into the New, and we're going to see that as it heads towards Acts chapter 2. Uh, one of the illustrations I used last time I talked about this uh, uh, was when I was at seminary, and I think the, um, the speaker was preaching on Sabbath rest and the importance of, of taking a break. But he, uh, he was a doctor who, who kind of uh, switched careers and really started focusing on the importance of, of taking a break and Sabbath and uh, where we see that in scriptures. And he put up a, a chest x-ray on the screen. And I think it was like kind of more like the collarbones area. Uh, but he said that when he would teach medical students, uh, he would ask them like, what's wrong with this picture? Because it was just this x-ray of, of a chest and everyone would look at it and would have a really hard time figuring out what was wrong uh, with the chest x-ray because uh, there was no, like, cloudy mass, there was no, uh, there was no cancer, no breakage, no, no chipping. Uh, whatever should have been obvious, there, it wasn't there. And they couldn't find it. 
Uh, but something was wrong. In fact, uh, he pointed out that like one of the bones was actually like completely gone. And I don't know if it was covered. I'm not sure how all that works. Uh, but there was something that was wrong. And it wasn't the presence of something. It was the absence of something. And that's true of us. When God's presence uh, uh, is, isn't here, or God's, uh, we're just sensing that, man, I, I need to get right with the Lord. We need to sense that absence, that special presence of God. And we need to seek him. See, the people in this moment, uh, God is leaving, <laughs> And this is terrifying. This is devastating. Because now they're looking at life without God. And thankfully, we don't have to have that happen to us. See, the Israelites, when, when God's presence left, uh, it was like after this, the Israelites, uh, well, it's kind of at the same time, like God was uh, sending the people into exile. They went to Babylon. They were in captivity. And it's at captivity that they began to reflect and realize, oh, <laughs> we were disobeying God. We were rebelling against God began to repent and turn to God again. And that's the exact same thing we can do. If, if, if you are detecting or feeling like, you know what, God just, for somehow, for some reason, he seems to be absent in my life right now. Like, I, I don't sense the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's a wall in my life. Yeah, well, take, take time to examine that. Lord, have I put up a wall in my own life? Do I have some unconfessed sin that I need to deal with so that I can be right again with you? And we know that you forgive that you have forgiven, but still sometimes we just need to confess our sin so that we can experience God anew and receive forgiveness and hope and joy. God promises to rescue us, to, to forgive us if we come before him and confess our sins. He's faithful, he's just, he forgives us. So if there's anything in your mind right now, you're like, man, there seems like I, I have put up this barrier between myself and God, like just... Uh, Offer it to the Lord. Receive forgiveness. God for, forgives you. Maybe even find a brother or sister in Christ you can confess this to and say, you know, this, this is an area in my life that I need, to, I need to give once more to the Lord. And so the people are in captivity, but God restores them. He brings them out of captivity, brings them back to the, the land. The people rebuild the temple. And then this is what happens in Ezra chapter 6, verses 15 through 16. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. Do you see the glory cloud filling the temple? Do you see the fire coming? Do you see the smoke? It doesn't come. God does not re-enter the temple. The Holy Spirit is not there in a special way. There's only absence and emptiness. And so if the people have any true hope of, of God turning their chaos, their sin into creation and restoring uh, what they have been breaking, it's lost. There's no true hope found in this temple, but God does promise through his prophets that he is going to fill his temple once more, that he is going to restore his presence to the people of Israel, but not in the way that they think. Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through 7 say this, This is what the Lord Almighty says, In a little while, 
I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea, and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Do you think he's talking about this physical stone structure? Well, if you only ever read the Old Testament, you'll never find the answer because it lies in the new. See, uh, this is fulfilled. Uh, God does fill this house with glory, but the house he's talking about, the, the new temple, the new structure for his presence is actually his son. It's his son, Christ Jesus, the incarnation, God in the flesh, housing the very presence of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus is driving out the money changers in the temple, and the people come up to him, they're like, how, how can you drive money changers out of this temple? How can you do what you're doing? This is what Jesus says in John chapter 2. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Jesus' body is the new temple. He houses God's presence. He houses the Holy Spirit. Remember how uh, back in Genesis, like there's this image of, of, of the Holy Spirit almost as a bird hovering over the waters of creation? Well, we see that happen again with Jesus at the Jordan River when he's baptized by John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3.16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. It's as if Jesus and the Holy Spirit are reenacting the moment of creation and that Jesus is indeed the new creation. Jesus is the beginning of something completely new. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is created, not at all, but that Jesus is the beginning of a new creation, that through him, you can be recreated, I can be recreated. You don't have to live in chaos and disorder and selfishness and sin and greed anymore. You can enter into a new life, a new creation, the way God intended it through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. So that's the promise of what we receive when we come to Jesus. We can uh, receive forgiveness for our sins, but we also receive an entire new life, an entire new way of thinking. This is why Jesus had to go to the cross to, to pay that penalty for, for our chaos, for our sin, for our disorder, and then he rose again three days later so that anyone who repents of their sins and believes in Jesus, receives eternal life. Anyone who repents and believes in Jesus enters into this new creation. I want that. And how does Jesus do this? Well, a few verses earlier, uh, uh, John, uh, the, the John the Baptist promised this. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. See, Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And those listening, perhaps they would have thought of the smoking fire pot. That, Abraham, that, that, that passed through those animal pieces instead of Abraham. Perhaps they would have thought of the burning bush. 
where God's presence spoke to Moses through that burning bush. Perhaps they definitely would have thought of Sinai and God's presence, God's uh, cloud of glory and fiery presence coming down at the top of the mountain and then, and then coming to rest on the tabernacle and leading the people through the wilderness. Maybe they would have even thought of that, that cloud coming into the temple. See, finally, God's presence is coming back. God's presence has come with Christ Jesus. Just like our video said that we just watched from the Bible Project, Jesus has a body. The body of Christ is also going to house the very presence of God. We are his body. The people are his body. This this new temple is not a temple made of stone, but of flesh. And so we come to our passage. 120 disciples, if it continued from chapter 1, are in this upper room. They're worshiping God. They're, they're praying. It's now 50 days after Passover, 10 days since Jesus uh, ascended into heaven. It's Pentecost. This is, the, this is a, uh, the beginning of a new harvest. It's like this festival time. It's the end of one harvest, the beginning of a new, and it's like the perfect time uh, for something new. For God to say something new is about to happen, a new harvest is about to come through the Holy Spirit. And so in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 2, we encounter this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. We see the Spirit, the Ruha, the wind, the breath that was there at Genesis come down from heaven and is hovering over the chaos of our world. And it enters into this room and fills these people. The columns of fire is no longer the singular big column that's leading the people of Israel, but it's individual columns that comes to rest over their individual heads. Acts 2, 3 through 4 says this. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, tongue kind of like a column, that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. This... God wanted it to be absolutely clear what he was doing. Jesus, as he's ruling and reigning, sent his Holy Spirit so that God's presence would be clearly among his people in his, his new home, his new temple, the church. This, the Holy Spirit is filling them in a way that he has never done before. Now, do you need the Holy Spirit to believe in Jesus? I think so. I think you need God to come and do something in your heart. So I think, I think these believers, these disciples, they already had the Holy Spirit in them. But there is still something significant and different about the Holy Spirit like, coming in that uh, symbolic, uh, miraculous way and, and with the tongues of fire and filling his church to say, this is the beginning of something new. My presence is now among my people. And so uh, I think there's a question here. Does this apply to us? <laughs> like, should we expect this to happen? Well, I think the answer is no, and the answer is yes. No, this was, this was a special moment in the history of the church. This was, this was like a gateway. This was something new. This was the, 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 the marking of the, of the Holy Spirit coming and being among his people. And now if you know Christ, the Holy Spirit resides in you. But I also think... Th- there's a little bit of a yes as well. These, these people, 
they wanted the Holy Spirit to come. And we're going to read through uh, the book of Acts, and we're going to see the Holy Spirit uh, come at different key moments. And when he comes, like here, they speak in foreign languages. Sometimes they do, like, uh, just gospel witness. Other times they might speak in tongues. There's all these things that are happening. But clearly, like, the people are seeking the presence of God. And so as a church, as we read Acts chapter 2, I think this should challenge us. Say that we, when we come here, we, just, we don't want to take the Holy Spirit for granted. We don't want to feel entitled that God's presence is going to show up in a special way. We, we want to seek that. We want to ask for God to be here and to fill this place and to fill us as a church body and that we would be led by the Holy Spirit, by God himself. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians says this. It says, don't you know, and this isn't just you singular, this is you uh, don't you, church, know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So we can say, yes, he is here, but let's always seek him more. Now, why does, why does this matter? Why, why does this change the way we think? Should it change the way we think? Do you have like a, like a personal hero or someone that you would really like to meet in person? So maybe call to mind whoever you're thinking of. It could be a celebrity. There's no judgment here. It could be like a Harrison Ford or, uh, or whoever. Maybe it's a sports star, uh, Tom Brady. Uh, some of you want to meet him while well, you used to, uh, not anymore. Uh, uh, maybe uh, you really like, like pop music, maybe like Taylor, Taylor Swift. You're like, oh, I really want to meet her. I don't know what the, what the kids are into these days. Imagine that that person, like next Sunday... Uh, comes in to the, our church and sits down right beside you. Like, would that change how you acted? Like, w- when they walked in the door, do you, like, have, like, an extra big <laughs> grin on your face? Like, please stay. I'm really excited that you're here. Or, like, if it was, like, a, a famous musician, like, maybe an Amy Grant or something, like, would you, like, try to sing really well to impress them? Like, I'll be your backup singer. Or if it was an actor, would you suddenly like do your best impression? Like would you start uh, doing your best like Christopher Walken impression? Maybe it's Christopher Walken and you're all confused. Would, would you change if your hero or your, someone you admire or maybe like the greatest theologian or the greatest pastor or missionary or whatever was here in our, in our midst? We have the very presence of God. In this room, we have the Holy Spirit here. We have the Lord of the universe. There is no one more important than Him. And we should be bringing our best every single week to this service. Because we're gathering corporately, and there's something special when two or three gather. When we're drawing together as a church body, it doesn't mean that God doesn't go with us. He does, He goes with us out into the world. That's just as sacred, but there is something special when we come together as a church body. Because the most important person is here. The Holy Spirit fills his church in Acts chapter 2, and he has not emptied it. There's a special way to be anointed, to be extra filled, but something incredible happens in Acts chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I want you to remember back to Genesis chapter 12, the blessing to all the nations, Exodus 19, uh, to be a priesthood to all the nations. Think back to those things, and what do we find in Acts chapter 2? 
They were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their language being spoken. The people began to praise God in these foreign tongues, these foreign languages. This, this, this word nation is the word ethnos, nations. Luke is highlighting that the gospel is going out. It's going to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what it's going to be doing through the, the whole book of Acts. But this is like the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 19, that through you, Abraham, and through your descendants, even your spiritual descendants, those that know Christ Jesus, the gospel is going to go out into the entire world. This is incredible. And maybe you're thinking, well, God doesn't really do stuff like this. This was anymore. Like, this was just a New Testament time period. God doesn't really, like, do miracles like this. This was just special. I don't buy that. (laughs) Maybe you do, but I don't buy that. I think God can still do stuff just like this as he spreads his church my friend Brian, uh, he's doing the Ockengay program with me and the doctorate of ministry program. And uh, he used to be in the Marine Corps. He's actually going to be here in February and preach for us. But when he was in the Marine Corps and, and in Afghanistan, uh, he had the opportunity to go and share the gospel with some local uh, Afghanis uh, in, in the area. And he would do this where he'd go and, and get off base and, and go talk to people. And he had... A, he had um, uh, someone who was there with him, but he didn't have a translator. So he had someone who, who could kind of help him, but uh, no one to actually like translate his message. But they still asked him, hey, would you, uh, would you share uh, with this group of Afghanis? They don't speak English, but would you just go ahead and share? Now, uh, uh, Brian did not believe that God did miracles anymore. He was what we would call a cessationist, someone who believed like, God doesn't perform miracles, he doesn't do healings, he doesn't uh, do uh, translation. And so he shared the gospel, and afterwards, uh, the guy who was with him uh, told him that uh, every single person understood what he had said. Every single Afghani who did not speak English understood the gospel message that he had presented. And it just completely changed his perspective. Uh, He really had to wrestle with this because God had shown up. The Holy Spirit had shown up in a special way and translated the gospel. And I think think God can still do that. I think God can still show up and do things in our community, in the town of Westford and on our front lines. God can perform uh, miracles that change people's lives. Why not pray for those things? God is at work. And he's going to show up. He's going to fill his house with glory. Now, I think this is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. I think this is fulfilled in the church. But I do not think this this prophecy from Haggai is completely filled. I think we will see that in the book of Revelation at the end of days. Revelation 21, 22 through 24. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. So this is the final fulfillment. When people have come to believe in Jesus from every tribe, nation, and tongue, and then they are dwelling with God's presence, that they are dwelling with God himself. I hope you will be encouraged by this and challenged by this, and that you will look forward to this. Uh, I do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for uh, your presence. Uh, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Now, we got to sing about your presence earlier 
uh, in this worship service. That's just so encouraging. And so I pray that as we... Um, as we wrap up here, Lord, as we sing our, our closing song, uh, that you would be blessed, that you would be praised, that we would sense your Holy Spirit in a special way. Lord, we, we long, we hunger uh, for you. We know that we have you because uh, we believe in you, but at the same time, we want to see your special presence poured out upon us as a church, upon our families, and we want to see you move in our lives. We love you, Lord. Would you bless this offering? In Jesus' name, amen.